This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. BYU Sports Nation is live, your day-to-day play-by-play back in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Wednesday, June 3rd, wherever and however you're connected, great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with the guy who gets yelled at every morning when he wakes up, Jerem Jordan. So when I go in to wake up Tate, he's 22 months old, he knows that I get excited when he says football. So he yells at me, football! That's how I'm, uh, you know, uh, introduced when I open the door. I go, football! And I always, th- I always yell it back at him, football! He gets so excited. I think we're all excited for the idea of football. And now uh, Adrian Wojnarowski just tweeted that the NBA is going to come back July 31st, it looks like. Woj bomb! They're going to ratify it. So basketball coming back, uh, voluntary workouts in day three at BYU for football and basketball teams. So hopefully things are returning to somewhat normal. Obviously it's going to take a while pre-vaccine to figure things out. But it feels like in terms of sports and the return – that's getting normal. We are in the middle of something uh, unprecedented in, in U.S. history, not only with the pandemic, but with the movement that's happening. So, yes, sports is like on the back burner, but hopefully we can get it back. You've discovered the way to wake up happy, at least for you. Yeah. Uh, if my kid yells at me football, that's better than <laughs> feed me. Right. And he can't really talk very much, but it's exciting that he he calls every sport football, too. I love it. <laughs> He'll see basketball. And I'm like, you know what? Close enough. You're Better good. than a smack to the face from your two-year-old. Well, that's happening too, but yeah. Or the always entertaining at 3.30 in the morning where your child gets within four millimeters of your face and says, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, ha! 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm up. I'm up. And uh, we are certainly, uh, yeah, excited and getting up for today's show lineup. Gennaro Guilford. Why he's so apt about football. And this year's defensive back specifically. And why he took a huge risk to pull off one of the greatest defensive plays in BYU football history. Plus, the best to ever wear number 22 at BYU. And our deep blue features a miraculous surgery from President Russell M. Nelson. Like I said, a great show on the way. Here are today's BYU Sports Nation headlines. Athlon Sports preseason college football magazine. These are out. These are coming. We have some magazines. I'm excited to read them. Predicts BYU to go 7-5 and five and ranks Cougars 51st among all FBS teams. That's where BYU's living, generally speaking, is the 6 or 7 wins and in the 50s among all 130 college football. Beat three Power 5 teams of the six you play, and you got a shot at eight wins. Woo! You got a shot. Yoli Childs, as we move to BYU basketball, named the second best power forward in all of college basketball last season, according to... Red Cup basketball on Instagram. Childs averaged 22 points, 9 rebounds a game last season. Hoping to break into the NBA next season. Good luck to Yoli. Somebody take him in the second round. Come on. So, question. When will the NBA draft happen if the season goes through October? It'd have to happen after because they need to know seeding and it affects the The lottery has to happen. Yeah. The draft lottery hasn't happened yet. Right. Let alone the draft. So, I I mean, that's interesting. Will he just go play overseas for the first season since those seasons starts earlier than 
It's going to be weird. The NBA is going to change completely. This affects Yoli and future Cougars because are they going to start the season around December or January now? Do it on Christmas. And go into August? Tip off the new season every year on Christmas Day. That'd be fun. Do it. Go later in the summer. Own the summer. I, I think this will change the schedule now. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. Six power five opponents, much to the liking of Jerem Jordan. I wish you were still wearing the T-shirt you had on yesterday. Baby Yodes today. A road trip to Boise State as well, and some revenge opportunities coming to Provo. All of those in the approaching 2020 BYU football schedule as currently scheduled. Jerem, which of the 2020 BYU football games this season has the greatest potential to be the game of the year? Utah. Utah is the game of the year. If BYU wins that, it's the game of the year. You're not going to remember a ton of other games if BYU beats Utah. We remember that game every year. If BYU wins, you remember it more with this fan base. Obviously, the streak, a rivalry a Power 5 road game, a Thursday night college football opener, which, by the way, the two other games that hold a candle to BYU-Utah that night, uh, Washington State goes to Utah State. That's fun. Nick Rolovich in Washington State. Yep, his debut. And then Clemson at Georgia Tech. Okay. Those are the only two that compare. So that, that could be it. Any dramatic late win over a Power 5 opponent is likely to be a game of the year. See USC and Tennessee last year. There's a fun conversation of which one is the game of the year. Those were two great games, right? So pick one. You mentioned it. Six Power 5 opponents. Um, Chances are uh, if there's a dramatic late win against one of those, that's the game of the year. And then you look at where BYU's playing on the road in some of these, okay, and what that could mean. BYU's playing at Minnesota in week Mm -hmm. four. We think this is going to be tough. It's the Wisconsin 2017 theory. Four in a row is just too hard. West Virginia 2016, Wisconsin 2017. It's just hard to win that fourth game, especially if it's Washington, fourth in a row. 2018. Washington 2018. Uh, Washington 2019. 2019, sorry. Yeah. It's just hard, right? So BYU's playing Minnesota in the fourth game, which is interesting because BYU's actually been pretty stinking awesome on the road against Big Ten teams recently, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Oh, little Brigham has won three of the last four against Big Ten teams on the road. Three of the last four. Invited Let's talk about to the it. conference already. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Going backwards, Wisconsin 2018, 2016 at Michigan State, 2015 BYU loses to uh, Michigan but beats Nebraska in the opener. So there are three of the last four. That's been a place where BYU's actually been pretty good. Been pretty good. Now, of those teams, who was decent? Uh, 2015, Nebraska won five games. 2015, Michigan, I believe, won 10 games. Yes, 2016, Michigan State won four games. And 2018, Wisconsin won eight. So uh, the Wisconsin win was the best one. The Michigan, that Michigan team was, I, I think they were pretty good. I'll, ha- I'll have to look it up. But yeah, perhaps Minnesota. I don't know. I think that's going to be a hard game because it's fourth power five, but BYU's done well on the road against Big Ten team. Yeah, that Michigan team was Jim Harbaugh's first year. Then it was the 10-win team, I think. Yeah, okay. I'll find it here. They lost to a good team. Okay. It is the Utah game this year. And you're right. It doesn't matter the score. It doesn't matter uh, if it's close, which it typically is, or for some miraculous reason BYU wins this game and it's not dramatic in the end. That would validate the entire season for a lot of BYU fans. Oh, you beat Utah. You could go 1-11, yep. but if you beat Utah. We don't feel that it. way. No. But there are, 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm closer than I used to be. <laughs> Ends the nine-game losing streak. Validates Zach Wilson is the guy that broke the streak. The youth that beat the youth. Kalani finally beats Kyle. Like, there are so many storylines going into that game. So that has the potential to be the game of the year. Yeah. But, but. All I hear is but. Last year, would you say if, play the hypothetical game with me, if BYU had beaten Utah last year, and then beaten USC in overtime the way that they did storming the field, which would have been the game of the year. Always Utah. Really? Yes. Because, even even because if they did storm the field. Because of the streak. Yeah, absolutely. See, typically, you're right, it features a Power 5 opponent and some, late, wrong? and some late game dramatics. Okay, last year, the game of the year for me was USC. Fans stormed the field. 2018, it was Wisconsin. Late game dramatics, power five opponent. 2017 that one, that one's yeah. is the season that shall not be named. Yeah, don't talk about 2016, that. probably Arizona. Kalani's debut, game-winning s- kick, or Toledo? Mississippi State. Oh, you think it was Toledo? Double overtime. Power five opponent. Didn't fans storm the field on that one? Oh, that's right. They did. There's yeah. your argument. If the fans storm the field, is it the game of the year? Power five opponent, late game dramatics, fans storm the field. It doesn't happen very often. 2015, Nebraska, Manga Miracle, Power 5 opponent, late game dramatics. I'd argue that one with Boise State. Those two, th- that was pretty incredible as well. Pretty wild. Uh, fans storm the field, question mark? Which it's game, not always that they storm the field. If fans storm the field, does that make it the game no, of the year? No, because fans storm the field against Utah State one time. <laughs> Was that the that game doesn't of the year? make it the game of the year was automatically. The, was that the game of the year in 2011? Might have been. <laughs> so you know, it didn't play. True. Didn't play a good schedule. <laughs> it's very interesting. It's it's Utah based on all the buildup. But after that, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like Boise State. BYU's never won up there. Could there be some late game dramatics for BYU to finally pull it off and win on the blue? Yeah, just win the game. You Lucky know, BYU fans to storm the blue. <laughs> yeah. No one's storming that thing. It's too cheap. Topic two. Uh, C3 Stats posted a video of BYU's trick play compilation from 2019, and with the help of Greg Rubel, we know BYU ran 22 what they call specials, or more commonly known, uh, trick plays. There's uh, defining characteristics there. So do you want more or less specials uh, from BYU football? Special plays, trick plays. I'm okay with a similar amount, if not a, a, a little bit uh, fewer plays. Okay. You want fewer? I want, well, the rare. I want less of something. I don't, I don't know. Like it, they're effective because there aren't very many. Like if you try and run too many, then the effectiveness of it kind of wears off. So I don't know. Twenty, eighteen, not not a ton fewer than BYU has been running. But Jeff Grimes does this amazing thing. Uh, he runs a bunch of plays to set up these special plays and. You don't know when it's coming, but it's kind of like methodical, methodical, methodical. Okay, simple handoff. Okay, end around, jet sweep, and then bang, this crazy play, the double pass at Wisconsin that was set up by like eight previous plays that BYU had run in a similar formation where the defense is thinking, oh, okay, they're going to run a little bubble screen and then double pass. BYU did a similar play against San Diego State where Matt Bushman caught one. So – we just saw it. Yeah. BYU, if they run a similar amount, I'm okay with it. You don't want to overload it. I don't want to be overloaded with special plays because then the defense is less likely to be tricked by it. So, yeah, I guess it is a, a rare instance of me wanting a little bit less of something. 
but I'd like a similar number. I think Jeff Grimes and, and Aaron Roderick do a fantastic job setting up the specials for BYU football, and I imagine that a similar number will present itself this year. This is like a Lego movie, like you're the special. The, the special. Is Matt Bushman, the special, because he gets the ball a lot. In he scores a lot of touchdowns on those. Yeah, several, right? Uh, BYU beat Boise State on specials. It wasn't even hard. BYU had its third-string quarterback in, you know, and fourth-string running back. It wasn't even hard. That was like the easiest game ever. Uh, just do it up there now. Uh, yeah, it's all situational. I don't know. It's all situational. Uh, when's the right time to run a trick play? What constitutes a trick play? I'd argue that the scrum package is a trick play. It's just a standard handoff, but I would say it's tricky and it's a different personnel grouping, right? You have Kyrus Tonga as a fullback, which is awesome. But you know what's coming. You know yes. what's coming. Yes, and I want a variation on a theme, and that's where it's good, right? So remember that BYU sets up uh, a play in overtime against Tennessee where Tyson, uh, Tyson Williams had, had run the ball, but then Aleva fakes the pitch, and get, he gets all the way inside the 10, and then that sets up the play from the 6 where BYU just marches in with the O-line. So I'm not sure I want more or less. I just want effectiveness, and that's the key to this whole thing, like you said. I think BYU did a really good job of using these effectively. Oh, yeah. BYU beat Boise State on... Trick plays. They averaged now, 11.8 yards per special play. That's good. That's really good. And, and uh, they were plus yards on all eight runs, and they were plus on eight of the 14 passes. You don't always complete the pass, right? BYU had negative yards on two plays, zero yards on four plays. Um, and thanks to Greg Rebell for that information. I, I, I think we need to uh, be careful not, not to think every weird thing is a, is a trick play or special. When, when a Quarterback hands the ball to a receiver, and that's an end around. That's not a trick play. He's just handing the ball to a receiver. It's a jet sweep. But when that receiver, yeah, when that receiver then hands the ball to someone else who either throws it or hands it back to Zach Wilson, now we're going, right? Trickeration. So, yeah, Boise State kind of made a living on this brand, right? They won the 07 Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma on the Statue of Liberty. And to get into OT, they had the hook and ladder or hook and lateral. There's the debate on what that's actually called. I, these plays are fun, too. Like, it's not two, three yards in a cloud of dust, 1960s football anymore. It's, it can be fun. And we saw BYU at times uh, have some fun with these plays. I would like to see that continue. Yeah, the potential of something special happening or something exciting happen, happening makes the game that much more exciting to watch, right? You, and it's, you, it's creative. Yes. I don't want to see just vanilla play calling. I want to see some spice, right? Let's it's one go. thing to be creative and one thing to be creative and effective, and BYU has been both of those things. Yeah, if it's not creative, you don't even remember that it happened, yeah. honestly. Cred- credit to you know, uh, Coach Grimes, Coach Roderick, and the offensive staff for pulling it off consistently. You don't remember the trick plays that don't work very often, just the ones that work. They stick out. You know? Yeah, and BYU typically executes well some trick plays in their games of the year. Like, they, they do some special things. Our question of the day, which BYU football game in the 2020 season has the greatest potential to be the game of the year? Jeremy and I both think it's Utah, just based on the buildup. Everything that goes into it, yep. Maybe it should be, what is the Besides second Utah. most likely game? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's go to the Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation. On BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> this is hilarious. At N underscore Crowley19 on Instagram. If anyone says anything other than the Utah game, they're either not a fan or their name is Spencer Linton. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey, hey, 
I try, I'm there with you. I'm there with you this time around. The streak is too long for us to say anything. All else. I'm saying is the win or loss against Utah does not define the entire season, but there are people that disagree with me vehemently on that little nugget. Yeah. Okay. Okay, coming up, the best wire number 22, and it is an easy answer. Plus, BYU cornerbacks coach Gennaro Guilford relives one of the greatest defensive moments in BYU football history and why he's so amped for next year's group of defensive backs. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to BYU Sports Nation on demand by downloading the podcast. Just Google BYU Sports Nation podcast and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are live in Studio B. This is your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. I am Spencer Linton alongside the always fabulous Jerem Jordan. It is our pleasure now to welcome in the current BYU football cornerbacks coach, friend of the program, Gennaro Guilford, joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Zoom. Gennaro, great to have you back on BYU Sports Nation. How are you? Oh, man, I'm amazing. It's great to be back. Gennaro, let's start here. It's been uh, a crazy time in America, and uh, we talked to the great pastor and author and former BYU alum Derwin Gray yesterday, and he gave us some great insight into what we can do to make changes in America and how we can really show that black lives matter and whatnot. Gennaro, you're in a unique position like Derwin Gray in that you were an athlete at BYU. You played cornerback at BYU, had that experience. So how can we make this experience good for not just you, but for your players and uh, help people feel safe at BYU and in, in Utah and in America specifically? Uh, you know, just understanding the whole the whole situation. Um, you know, when I when I um, talk to people, I'll always tell them it's like um, we all know right right from wrong. Um, it's like if if any of our kids were getting bullied and they were at school, right? We we would all want somebody to to eventually step up and say, you know what, stop. That's not right, or whatever the case may be. Um, um, so so for me, um, I always explain it like. Um, We've been bullied for so long, um, talking, screaming, yelling, walking, running, fighting um, for 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 help. You know, um, just fighting for help, and, and nobody has has stepped up and stopped the bully from bullying us. Um, and now uh, people are finally starting to step up, and it's going to take everybody. It's not just us. We can't we can't do it alone. Um, and, you know, we're in a, a, a time right now where we're all together anyway because of the the pandemic. You know, so since we're all together, we might as well all just stay together and and, and, and fight this and fight this bully off. You know, um, that's that's how that's how I feel that um, it'll 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 help us um, knowing that everybody has our back, um, that everybody sees it. Um, you know, and of course, everybody's saying that, that Black Lives Matter. Of course, they, they, it absolutely does, and we we understand that all lives matter. That's 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 not the point. Um, you know, but we're just trying to trying to get a, a, a even playing field and, and make sure that that everybody understands and everybody sees what, what's going on, and um, everybody knows right right from wrong. Well said, and that's what we've learned the last couple of days and and the last week or so is it's not enough for. Uh, us to say, yeah, I'm not racist. We have to be anti-racist, as Derwin Gray said yesterday. We have to do what you said, which is be proactive in anti-bullying, if you will, uh, anti-racism. So 
Absolutely. We are completely on board with this, and I'm, I'm excited to do that and be helpful, right? Let's talk a little bit of uh, football. So, obviously, voluntary workouts uh, began on Monday. Uh, that's a thing that you guys aren't involved in, but the guys are in the facility uh, getting tested and uh, making sure they are good to go. What does that mean for the program to have the guys back in? Because you haven't been with them since uh, the middle of March. It's a great thing to have to have guys back. Um, you know, and I, I'm not sure um, who's all back because it is voluntary. Um, but it's a great thing that the guys can come back and start just um, getting getting acclimated back back to football and working out and running and lifting and stuff like that. Um, you know, I mean, we're we're in the beginning of, of June, so that gives them uh, about two months to actually get in shape, and get uh, prepared, and we're just going to prepare like we're going to play game one. Gennaro Guilford with us on BYU Sports Nation. He is the cornerbacks coach at BYU. In the recent past, you have spoken about your excitement to have a guy like Chris Wilcox back, and why not? He brings back a ton of speed, experience. He's coming off uh, – a pretty serious injury, but he's 100% healthy. You have D'Angelo Mandel, Isaiah Heron, among others. What do you think about this group collectively, and why do they make you so excited about the future of the BYU secondary? Oh, especially with, with the guy that you just named. Um, you know, they, they've been with me for, for two-plus two years now. I mean, well, Chris is going on five. But, you know, um, the other guys, they, they've been with me for, for two and three years now. Um, they understand the the whole scheme, what we want from them, and they're and they're finally starting to step up to the challenge and being being more confident in uh, everything that we're going to ask them to do. Um, and it's going to be a lot, you know. Um, nothing's going to change. We're still going to ask them to to play man to man on 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 certain receivers and stuff like that. Um, so they can just be extensions of of me on the field now, you know. And they can teach our our younger guys who we have coming in the new guys. So. Um, they can take a lot, a lot off of my plate, and, and it's going to help them become better leaders um, as they as they um, get older and older. Are those the top three guys in the mix at the uh, two corner spots right now? Chris Wilcox, D'Angelo Mandel, and Isaiah Heron, kind of going into twenty twenty. Man, you know what? Um, again, like for me, um, it's always it's always open competition, and that's how I, I that's how I like to coach. Um, so it's going to be Chris Wilcox, D'Angelo Mandel, Isaiah Heron, um, Keenan Ellis, um, Hayden Livingston, who just moved from, uh, you know, he, he moved positions from safety to corner with me. Um, then we have a freshman coming in, Micah Harper from Arizona, who's um, similar to a Mike Shelton um, as far as just the IQ for the game, the, the plays that he makes, um, knowledge for the game is just very, very high. And then we have a JC guy coming in whose mentality is is, is different from, the guys that I have and he's going to bring um, a different, different type of attitude to the, to the team. And um, again, he's a guy who can run, you know, he was a, a 10, 600 guy. So um, we'll have some great, great competition and everybody's going to have to be on their, on their best every single day. Who are you referring to as the JC guy again? Jock Wilson. From, Jock Wilson. That's right. From, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, excited about so we have some guys, yeah, so we so we have some guys who are going to um, be ready for the competition. You know, um, we'll have you know five or six guys who can really play, and um, all of them are going to be ready ready to compete. Um, so they know it's it's every day, 
every day in, in practice is, is vying, vying for um, a spot. Gennaro, we recently spoke with Zane Anderson, and he mentioned that he had spent a little bit of time going to cornerback, and he can play safety and was a linebacker last year. He's got great versatility, great speed. He's one of the top defenders and top experience guys on this team. What's the likelihood that we see Zane Anderson playing some cornerback this year? Uh, very likely, you know, um, and, and he's a, a interesting guy because he he is a guy who can, who we can put put in the post or we can put at strong safety and guard big tight ends. Or um, if a team has a big wide out um, that can run, we can, we can now match them and, and put Zane there, a guy who is, you know, six, two, uh, two, 10, um, but at the same time can still run a four, four, you know? So um, he's very, very interesting. And um, again, it's going to be, it's going to be some, some competition come, come fall camp, which is going to be great as far as, um, the linebackers, corners, and safeties, um, you know, and uh, when, when we when we meet now, as far as a staff, um, we feel like we we have a great depth um, all around, everywhere, and and, and it's going to bring it's going to bring out the best in, in, in everybody. Gennaro, for a couple of guys that aren't quite or never have been at the four four speed level, what's that like to be six two and run a four <laughs> four? <laughs> I mean, uh, the bad thing is when you're six two and run a four four, you you might not be as quick as, as as the other guys. So you still have to learn learn to do stuff and, and learn to move your feet. Of course, you're, you're big and you're big and you can run, but at the same time, you still have to have um, the mental capacity to play the game, the high IQ, um, the the ability to make plays. And at the end of the, at the end of the day, whether you run a four four or a four seven, um, if you if you can make the plays it really doesn't matter what was your fastest 40 ever um so during my pro day i was timed low low four four um so i always just say four four (laughs) (laughs) we we had this debate when spencer said he could run a four nine forty because harvey unga ran a four nine or something, and I was like, "You're not as fast as Harvey. What are you doing?" So we ran, you know, and it was like close, but it wasn't quite four nine. So we had this debate. So you're, are you saying if you run a, you know, a four four nine four nine, is that a four four? It's a four four, right, Gennaro? Is that a four four? <laughs> I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, I'm gonna give it to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is, but it is a stretch. The guys that are like four hey, four two, enough. they yeah yeah. There's some justification there, right? <laughs> yeah. Who? Well, close enough. Close enough. Yeah, which is where we live. We, you know, we, close enough. We tap in birdies. We don't actually make birdies. Well, maybe Spencer does. Um, when who is the fastest corner on the team? Um, you know what? I'm 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 really not sure, man. Mm. They I don't I don't think we didn't get a chance to time forties this year because of, you know, the whole pandemic thing. Um, but uh, I mean, they, a few guys can run, you know, um, D'Lo can run. Uh, Chris of course can run. Kenan, Kenan Ellis is actually deceivingly fast. Um, when I had George Udo, he's, he is explosive. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if he ran the fastest, um, Again, if Zane's Zane with me, he's another guy who's very explosive. Um, it's a toss-up, honestly. 
I'm not sure. All right, to be determined uh, as we approach fall camp for BYU football. Let's finish with this. We've been reliving some of the great moments in BYU sports history with some former BYU greats. You fall into that category, Gennaro, with the game-sealing interception against Utah in 2001. Take us back inside that play, what you saw, what happened, what you felt, and uh, relive that play with us on BYU Sports Nation. Um, you know what? It was um, a lot a lot coaching, you know. Um, I was, I was, I was blessed to have, uh, coach Mitchell as, as a coach. And, um, he gave me the green light to always take chances, honestly. Um, and you know, I knew, I knew they needed a first down to get in, 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 uh, in field goal range. Um, and I just remember thinking to myself, um, if he does anything, if this receiver breaks down in any way, I'm just taking the chance and he broke down and I took a chance and, I mean, and there we go. But, um, you know, and, and everybody, they always tell me, like, if he would have ran a double move, he would have scored. And I'm like, yeah, he probably he probably would have. But that's the, that's the life of a, a playing corner. You take chances. Um, you have to take risk and you have to you have to be confident enough to know um, the situations. So um, I just I, I took a chance and sealed the game. How come you got caught? So let me let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you, okay. So for the people who don't remember, remember that's when I had my knee injury. I got hurt in the first quarter, mm. so that's when you know I had to go to the locker room and get some things done to come back and play. So that's why I had the knee sleeve on. So you know, I was a tad. I wasn't as mobile as I would have been. No, but no, but no excuses. I got caught. Hey, it is what it is. <laughs> um, it's more of a four nine forty than a four four, right? Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you still ran fifty but, yards. I mean, you could have run out of the stadium because the clock would have expired. You could have just run, uh, run out. Yeah, but I no, I wanted to score. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't want to. No, I wanted to <laughs> score so bad. Like I, I wanted to get in the end zone. Like it wasn't even. That's not even an argument. I wanted to get in the end zone. I was, I was mad. Gennaro, but the quarterback took a. The quarterback took a good angle, so I had to kind of cut in a little bit, mm-hmm. and then he got me. So. Yeah, yeah, and and you could have just gone down, but no, just 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 no, get out of there. No. no, let's go. No, not in that game. In any other game, yeah, you take a knee, you run out of bounds. That game, nah, it's no going down. We're going <laughs> to pour it on. Uh-uh. Gennaro, you're a legend even without scoring the touchdown. It's great to talk to you, my friend. Uh, we appreciate, you, appreciate, we appreciate the insight into BYU football and into how we can all be better, man. Much love to you. No, thank you. Appreciate you guys. Gennaro Guilford on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. I love Gennaro Guilford and for a lot of reasons. And what he said really matters, right, um, regarding race relations. Oh, But also in that game, some people have said that's the loudest they've heard it. And there have been some great games there, right? Um, I have a fun story behind that game I could share another day, how I, how I got into that game. Yes, um, Jerome. For free. Find but a way. Anyway, Gennaro picks it off and the undefeated season – Stays alive because the drive before Luke Staley had scored on the pitch to the short side uh, into the into the end zone and the stadium just going crazy. I mean, it was a special night. I love and it's the way, sealed with that play. Yeah, I love one that he is involved in that moment, and I love the way he coaches his guys. And if you've walked into a room and seen him smile, like you can have the worst day ever, 
and see that guy smile, and it changes everything. Like he, he wears a backwards hat he's so always great. on the sideline. Like he's just having fun. He's a happy guy. I love, I love it. it. I love it. Coming up, how one BYU head coach's life was saved by Russell M. Nelson. And the best to ever wear number 22 as our spring-summer series continues on the count up. This is BYU Sports Nation. No debate on this one. Next Friday, June 12th, the BYUSN Reviewables are back. We deep dive into the 1980-81 BYU basketball team and their run to the Elite Eight with Player of the Year Danny Ainge. Next Friday, June 12th, on BYU Sports Nation. Some foreshadowing for something we're about to discuss. Why it's there. Let's keep it rolling, BYU Sports Nation, and whip it. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around. Football. Athlon Sports preseason college football magazine predicts BYU to go 7-5 and five and ranks the Cougars 51st among all FBS teams. I think this is probably fair given where BYU's been and who's returning and what they're going to do. I hope BYU's better than that. We all do, of course. But uh, that's kind of the consensus. It's about 7-5 and five and in the 50s. And the first game matters a ton, which is in how many days? The countdown to the youths. 92 days. 92. We're sub-100. I told you last week that I care when it's sub-100. So now I'm in. If we do the countdown every day, I am now in. Think about this. Three months from today. Three months is a long time. Three months from today. Three months is a very long time. But sub-100, let's go. September 3rd. And we Basketball. Have, and we have yet to hear that they aren't playing September 3rd, right? We have yet to hear that they are not. We're going to move that way until Let's we go. hear that it's not happening. Let's go. All right, on to basketball. Yoli Childs named the second best power forward in all of college hoops last season, according to Red Cup Basketball. Childs shot 57% from the field, 50% from three, averaged 22 points, nine rebounds each and every game he played in last season, and now he's hoping to break into the NBA, which is returning on July 31st. Amazing. Yoli Childs may be the best to ever wear number 23, Jerem. But we have to take care of number 22 first. Mm -hmm. It's time for the best to wear it. And there is no debate today. It is Daniel R. Ainge, as his Twitter handle indicates. Danny Ainge, greatest BYU basketball player ever. One of the greatest athletes at BYU ever. A reminder, in addition to playing four amazing years at BYU, and by the time he left, by the way, he was the all-time leading scorer, assist man, and steals leader. Ha! Amazing, right? Elite eight, NCAA tournaments. He was so good. He had played after his sophomore and junior years and then after his senior year, three years with the Blue Jays in the majors. After his freshman year, he did play some AAA. So, yeah, three-year contract, and he was unbelievable. He's playing Major League Baseball, coming back to BYU and doing that kind of stuff, beating Notre Dame. So uh, Danny Ainge, National Player of the Year in 81 in two of the seven awards. Uh, we're having the reviewable show we mentioned next Friday. And uh, he goes on to play with the Celtics, Kings, Blazers, Suns, wins two rings, plays in four other finals, head coach of the Suns later, general manager to this day grief. with the Celtics. They win the 08 NBA title. Danny Ainge, you could argue, is the greatest Goat. ever at BYU athlete, given his whole career. Steve Young certainly in the conversation there as well. Danny Ainge, unbelievable, man. Goat status for sure. I, and there are those that are like, Jimmer's the greatest player at BYU ever. I believe that Danny Ainge is, and then I go with the Jimmer number two. And there have been a lot of great players. Uh, you talk about most influential, I think that's Chris Murchosic. But just straight, wire-to-wire, career, da 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 Danny Ainge. And he will be in the Basketball Hall of Fame one day, in my opinion, because of 
his entire basketball career. All of his contributions. Danny Ainge did his damage without a three-point line, Jerem. Tyler Haas and Jimmer Fredette would have never caught Danny with a three-point line. He did all of that without a three-point line. And if you just watch the highlights that we showed you on BYU TV, he does not get enough credit for how athletic he was. I mean, Danny Ainge, you think, oh, great shooter, great scorer, Boston Celtics, yeah, versatile player. Pretty like good feisty, defender. yeah. He could get up, man. He could dunk the ball. He had, he had some beautiful moves around the basket, up and under. Like, he was super athletic. All-American in high school in basketball, baseball, and football. How about that? It's ridiculous. Crazy. Coming yeah. up, today's Rise and Shadow. Plus the original deep blue feature, BYU women's volleyball coach Heather Olmstead and the miracle of why she's with us today. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. The best of BYU Sports Nation airs Saturdays, noon Eastern on BYU Radio and is on the podcast feed featuring the best conversations and interviews each week. I'm gathering that the interview we did with Derwin Gray yesterday will be part of the best of BYU Sports Nation. I would hope so. That was, yes, that was uh, enlightening. To say the least. It's so good. This week's Deep Blue feature is on women's volleyball head coach Heather Olmstead, which profiles the story of her miraculous early childhood and how she has moved into becoming the winningest women's volleyball head coach in BYU history. Crazy stuff. This is Deep Blue with Heather Olmstead. I grew up going to the beaches with my dad and we were able to watch really high level volleyball and he was able to coach me. I really just learned a lot about life and doing things you don't want to do. He really gave me self-belief that I could do anything I wanted. That's really been why I've wanted to give that back to others. When you start naming off top coaches, you're naming a bunch of people that are a lot older than she is. She has the highest winning percentage of any coach in history. When she took over, it really hasn't missed a beat. Heather's success at BYU almost didn't happen. Just a normal pregnancy, excited to be expecting my fourth baby. I started with a cough and it Concerned the doctor after about three months, and we discovered that I had a tumor in my lung. Things were happening so fast. It was like different opinions were happening daily from different doctors, and it was just barrage. Each time I'd go up there, there'd be a different diagnosis and a different opinion. It seemed to be fast growing, and that they felt that I only had three months to live if nothing was done. And that was just what? I was advised by doctors that I should abort to save my life. Then the doctor decided to take a final ultrasound scan of the growing fetus. I was awake during that scan, and when I heard one of the doctors say, oh dear, I wondered what they'd found now. But everything changed for me when the doctor said, you are carrying twins. In that moment, I said to myself, The Lord did not allow me to conceive twins only to abort them. I'm going to deliver the babies. If I die, I die. Believing she had three months to live, they wanted to try to find other options and other people that believed what they did in not aborting the babies. You have to remember that all of this is 
pre-electronic uh, era. All I remember is it was a Sunday. I went across the street. There was a payphone. I called Dr. Nelson. The doctors here say it's this. They say it's this, that I have to do this. They have. And I remember him being not gruff, but being very firm and saying, young man, do you want to talk? Or would you like to listen to me? So I listened to him, and I just felt comfortable with what, what he had to say. Well, I've got the record of my work on her right here, so I'll read it. The date of this operation was June 16th, 1980. This patient, 30 years of age, is pregnant with twins. She's about 16 weeks into her pregnancy. And she had symptoms of cough and shortness of breath. So her obstetrician got a chest x-ray, which revealed a large tumor in the right lung. I operated upon her at their request that the only way that we could remove it surgically was to take out the whole lung. It was complete inspiration and revelation on that surgery table that he received to know how to navigate that treacherous surgery. This is the kind of an operation that doesn't happen very often. In fact, one time in my career, when I got down to the very most crucial part of the operation, I found that there wasn't a way I could get the tumor away from the heart. There was only room for the blade of the scissors. So I cut the artery and put my finger in the pulmonary artery. And he said, I put my finger in there and did the surgery with one hand. And then put the stitches around the artery and pulled those up and pulled my finger out and tied them down and she survived. So it ended up not just being about the tumor, it ended up you know, being the journey that our family took. When she gave birth, had many complications. She needed to get blood transfusions and through that she contracted hepatitis C. They didn't know the treatment for it. They didn't know the life expectancy, but they knew it was life-threatening. So I spent a number of years learning how to deal with that, not knowing that someday they would find a treatment. Growing up, our mom always treated Heather and I as miracles and said we were her miracle twins to anyone she met. She is an unbelievable mom to all her, all her seven kids. I think that my mom's showed us that we can do hard things, that we can make a decision, stick with it, and see it through to the end, and that we can accomplish and overcome any hard trials that we might have in our life. Can you imagine the courage of that woman when the doctors in California had not been able to remove it surgically and really couldn't help her? She was willing to lay her life on the line for those children. It's a miracle that I'm alive, and I'm grateful for the example of my parents and my mom and my dad who've taught me how to love and how to work hard and how to believe, and I want to give that to others. I don't think she was saved just for this, but I think this is her mission. Her ability to coach and use what she has seen and learned through her whole life change the lives and affect the lives of young women. At the end of the 2018 season, um, we were out at the Final Four and they recognized Heather as the National Coach of the Year, which is a really big deal. 
As a coach, that's the highest award you can get. But the coolest thing about Heather is she doesn't need those accolades to change how she feels about herself or how she continues coaching. What was special is that she asked us to come with her when she was receiving the award because she always tells us that it's a team award and she never made it about herself, but she made it about the team. I can't imagine being at this program without her as our coach. I want the young women on our team to learn never to give up, to always go after what you want throughout their life. They're gonna go through hard things, and so we just need to keep pushing one foot in front of the other with faith, and we can accomplish many, many things together as a team especially, and win and lose, and still be kind and loving and be a great example to the community and many people who are watching our team play. Unbelievable stuff. Love Heather it. Olmstead, nearly a 900 win percentage, 144 victories, 18 losses. And as her mother just pointed out in that Deep Blue special, Heather's success at BYU almost didn't happen. It took a miracle to bring her into the world. Yes, from the now prophet and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What an amazing story that he does the surgery with essentially one hand. and The meticulous records Heather that he kept. Sister. Yeah. Amazing. And, and uh, on the beach, uh, Heather's mom is reading from Russell M. Nelson's book. And that's where, that's where this uh, story comes from, right? And it's just unbelievable. And that was the pilot for Deep Blue, by the way. That was the first one by Travis Moore and Alex Moore and that crew that did such a fantastic job. Well, talk about hitting a home run in your uh, debut. Yeah, seven minutes, and it, it flew by. So, yeah, Heather Olmstead, 11-5 uh, and five in the NCAA tournament. How about that? And Sweet 16 or better in four of the last five years. So that program is where all the other programs are hoping to be. Consistently have a top 10 recruiting class. Yep, they were number 14. Sorry, top 15 recruiting yeah, class. They, I'll take it, man. Like, unbelievable. So, yeah, what an incredible story about Heather Olmstead and, and many of the athletes and coaches, which it's been fun for Deep Blue to explore, and we will continue to explore coming up this season on Deep Blue. I'm excited. The humanity involved in those stories is really appealing. Yes. I love it so 100%. much. 100%. Coming up, today's Rise and Shoutouts. Plus, besides Utah, what's the best opportunity at Game of the Year for BYU football? This is BYU Sports Nation. This segment of BYU Sports Nation is presented by the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. He is Jerem Jordan. I'm Spencer Linton. The show available anytime on demand via the BYU TV and BYU radio apps. And uh, the, da- uh, the podcast is downloadable. It's free. Just Google BYU Sports Nation podcast. Our question of the day, and this is the original, which BYU football game this season has the greatest potential to be game of the year? Most of you are answering Utah, which is what Jerem and I answered today, but at Grimes Mustache whoa, in whoa, on whoa. Twitter. That's an account? I'm looking I'm it up. saying Minnesota. It's a team BYU hasn't ever played before. And they were pretty good last season. BYU will be coming off three straight Power 5 wins, and Minnesota will want to stop that. Three straight. That'd be awesome because BYU would be ranked in the top 15th. I'd be in the top 15. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, at uh, Ty Ty Mad on Instagram. Utah, I don't care who else we beat as long as we beat Utah. It, it certainly is a game that is weighted in a unique way. Absolutely. At... Jesse Cottom answers on Twitter. Michigan State or Missouri, since they are the Power 5 opponents in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. That's a great point. BYU is getting two P5s in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. We'd have to look back. I, I, would, I would gander that that's probably happened only a handful of times in BYU history because 
back in the day, being in a league, you're probably playing one if you play any at all. Getting two is, is pretty rare, I would think. So we'll look that up. That's interesting because a win over both those teams, one or both, would be nice. Would be nice. Missouri, a team that had some sanctions, didn't go to a bowl game. They were just okay. Michigan State, new head coach uh, with uh, Coach Mel Tucker, who came over from Colorado, uh, replacing uh, D'Antonio. So um, interesting to see what Michigan State is, right, and what Missouri is. Those are games BYU can win at home. BYU gets up, uh, hopefully, for those. The road games where BYU's really gotten up, and BYU has four of those. Yeah, four of them. Three in the first four. It's just, it's just heavy. BYU will figure out a way to win at least three Power Five games. That'd be nice. USC and Washington last year, 2019, couple yeah. of Power Five opponents. That's, and same that's, season. And that's fun. The USC game, uh, BYU pulls it out. Awesome. Washington. Not fun. Not fun. Overwhelmed. Tyson Williams, torn ACL. Not awesome. Fourth, that was the fourth Power 5 game in okay. a row, by the way. Our lead voice of the day presented by Sundance Mountain Resort. At David R. Answers on Facebook, Utes game for sure. As a former Utah student athlete who is probably a bigger BYU fan than most, Hello. when BYU beats Utah, not only has it been over a decade, but it's a win that can give the energy needed to believe BYU can win every game. Frankly, that could happen. With a loss to Utah... And Michigan State, 0-2, it could be a losing season. Yes, BYU could win every game this year as I wear wear the Blue Goggles. And they could have a losing season, which is the other end of the spectrum of the Blue Goggles. Right, jump out with a win. No doubt, that'd have a ton of energy. Thanks for the uh, post on Facebook. Okay, today's Rising Shoutouts. Off the Block is doing a poll, uh, and BYU's in the final with the mascots. Cosmo against Lincoln Memorial's Abe. I didn't know who or what that was, but it's, yeah, it's Abraham Lincoln. Okay. And BYU's up 64-36 or something. <laughs> Cosmos taking down Honest Abe? Let's go. Incredible. Look, that's a mega matchup, let's be honest. All right, my rise and shout-out goes to the NBA professionals, staffers, executives, and all people involved in bringing back pro basketball in late July. they got to ratify it tomorrow, but it looks like it's happening. Let's, let's, go. let's go. Our thanks to today's guest, Gennaro Guilford. Yeah. Sorry to Dennis Pitt. I ran out of time. Dustin Pitt, all of you. Conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use the hashtag BYUSN. We got to go run our 4940s. For Jerem Jordan, I am Spencer Linton. Shout out to Tony Crutchfield. We'll see you tomorrow on BYU Sports Nation. Go Cougs. You can win every game, Spencer.